0: Hmm,
1: what is this podcast? We will remember Haiti in their voice. What are we supposed to be remembering and why Haiti? In their voices? To be able to hear voices of real people in Haiti? I thought they spoke another language.
2: Well, let's
1: find out. Nassonger. This is a Creole phrase meaning we will remember. Nous comptons well. We're happy you've tuned in to the "We Will Remember Haiti" in their voice podcast, or in Creole, "Na Songe, Na Voix
2: What do the Haitian people think about their situation, their lives, their dreams, their culture, their religion, both personally and collectively? How do they see the world? That's what we'll be learning about as we listen to the voices of the people on the street
1: or in the countryside or wherever they are in the world.
2: It will be recorded by our colleagues, Rocky, Naji and Alma, who are co-founders of the National Vet, or in English, we will remember Green, a more recent branch to the Foundation's work. English voiceovers will be done by podcast co-host Carla and Ron Blunchley.
1: That's us.
2: Who have lived in Haiti for thirty-eight years. And as a result, uh, we feel we have a better-than-average understanding of the people, their culture, and their
1: politics. Because of the current extreme insecurity, economic, and humanitarian crises, the Nassange Foundation, which is based in Haiti, has decided to extend its work now in a digital and audio format, hoping the same work of transformation can come through these interesting and perhaps sometimes shocking revelations from the extraordinary citizens of Haiti. Haiti, as one tradition explains, the Taino name for the land, Aichi, means the land that enables or forces one to rise to one's higher self. These are just the authentic opinions of the everyday person in Haiti, not necessarily reflecting the opinions of the Nassonger Foundation. So let's hear in their voices, Nasonge. Welcome to our Ground Zero podcast. We will remember Haiti in their voice podcast. I'm Carla. And I'm Ron. Blunchley.
2: In this uh, first podcast, our Ground Zero podcast, uh, we will not yet be bringing you um, the interviews of the Haitian people. We will start by introducing ourselves, explaining who we are.
1: You will hear from the guys to introduce themselves, too.
2: After we're done with our interview, we'll we'll be uh, introducing ourselves and then we'll have Najee and Alma and Rocky introduce themselves, but feel it's necessary to explain why we're doing this, who we are, how we got to Haiti, how long we've lived there, what we've lived through, how we have changed, Mm -hmm. how our perspectives on things have changed. We have a lot to say on our own opinions about things, but uh, we want to give priority to the Asian people's opinions and their thoughts and how they see things. Uh, we'll try to do some interpreting of that so that, you know, contextualization so that the average American might be able to understand it because their reality is quite a bit different than our own.
1: It took us a while to get so much understanding over the years. doesn't come quickly or easily either sometimes.
2: No, and there are some things that when— uh, there's a number of people that have lived overseas for a while that, uh, that share some of the observations that we have made. Mm-hmm. When your perspective changes, you're looking from the outside in rather than being on the inside. You see things a little bit differently, and there are some things that are common among most people, that <laughs> Americans that have spent any time in a, in a foreign country for any length of time, especially the poorer countries— what we call Third World.
1: That's an odd name as it is. And that's another story. We should say, why did we even decide to go overseas? Why did we even want to do that when it was against some family opinions about leaving the U.S.?
2: Well, that's the first thing. We, you know, it, to be honest, any honest uh, presentation of myself and, and Carla has to include the fact that the reason that we went to Haiti in the first place it was a result of our faith. We were uh, evangelical Christians. Uh, we were not the the fundamentalist kind by that point in our lives, but we had been Christian for 20 years and felt that the spirit of Jesus, who we believed in as Christians do, told us to live our lives uh, reaching out to the people that needed it, the, the outcasts, the, the despised, unclean, so to speak, to help. Because that was seems to me to be the biblical message. And that spirit is what motivated us and it's what basically was the core of our faith. Our belief system changed mm-hmm. eventually after several years in Haiti. Okay. It was gradual. We went, we went to Haiti with a Christian organization, the Mennonite Central Committee, and we wanted to do good development work with a Christian organization. And there wasn't a long list of Christian organizations that did good development work. But uh, MCC was one. Uh, one of my college professors recommended them. So we uh, applied, and we, I wanted to go to Africa, but we ended up not having any interesting positions there at the time. And there was an interesting position in Haiti. And I had kind of interestingly been to Haiti. I'd been there for three days when I was in the Navy, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, it's like a little piece of Africa. So we agreed to go. Little did we know that we'd still be living there. <laughs> Thirty-eight
1: years later. Thirty-eight
2: years later, we. Were, it was mm-hmm. supposed to be a three-year interim, and then we were going to go somewhere else and continue with my career, because that's basically what I was interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> well, I enjoyed but, the
1: co- cross-cultural Yes,
2: fortunately, experience. there was no conflict in no. our marriage over this. Carla <laughs> yeah, also wanted happen. the experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, our three daughters really had no choice in the matter. We took them. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> so sorry. <laughs> anyway, but they do not regret it. They uh, are very thankful that they had the experience of growing up in Haiti in a different country because mm-hmm. they also have a different perspective on things uh, as a result. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a positive perspective. Um, Any case, we got to Haiti, and I was working in an agroforestry project. We got there in 1985. A year later, the democratic movement overthrew the Duvalier regime, which had been there for decades there had been Papa Doc. He died. His son took over. His son was, you know, incompetent playboy. He really wasn't fit to be president, but he was one anyway. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was really the generals and the Tonton Lacuts and, you know, the repressive regime that controlled everything in favor of the rich families, those five traditional families that run the country. Anyway, we um, did a second term. We did three years and when we saw when we saw how the work we were doing was being attacked. We kind of felt like it was our struggle. We started to identify with it. This is our struggle. This is why was it
1: being attacked? What do you mean? Explain. What well. <laughs> it wasn't us. It was being attacked.
2: This was the first uh, little piece of shocking uh, mm-hmm. revelation for us because we were working with groups, peasant groups. And I thought, you know, at this point, my my Christian understanding of things was pretty much... Uh, influenced by some liberation theology, and it was justice oriented, and it was not biblical literalism. Although the Bible was still the authority for me in, in matters of faith and practice, and uh, I thought that this group movement sounded to me a lot like, you know, the practical application of the kingdom of God, like in Acts, where the followers mm. of Jesus uh, lived communally together and shared what they had in common. Mm. Whether that's historically true or not, it's a great (laughs) idea, and and, uh, I believe in it. (laughs) And I thought this was a wonderful thing. And then we learned when the democracy movement was being attacked by the army, and we were reporting to the American embassy because we thought maybe they don't know what's going on. Mm. Um, And we were informed that, well, this group thing, we really don't like it because it leads to communism. That's the message we got from the American embassy. Quite Shocking, and I thought, mm-hmm. well, maybe that you know, maybe that means communism's a good thing because eh? <laughs> I saw this was positive,
1: <clears throat> yeah. But then you remember that the groups had their own structure where they even elected their president, yes, their treasurer, very, they had their own was, constitution. They...
2: Yeah. I was putting two and two together and realizing this the organization of the peasantry was not what the American government wanted. the State Department did not want that to happen. But why? Why? Yeah? Well, because the American plan and this you know, this isn't my opinion. this is something that's been cited. It's historical. <laughs> it's the American written. plan it's document, for Haiti yeah. was to develop industries there where you get the people off the mountains because, it's deforested, and their, mm-hmm. their peasant agriculture is going down. They can't produce enough food for themselves, and the hills are eroding. So get them off the mountains and get them into the city and working in factories. That's what they tried to do.
1: I remember seeing that document, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Of course, if they had any understanding of the Haitian people, of the peasantry, of the reality in Haiti and—, and understood the people and respected them at all, they wouldn't have tried to do what they tried to do because it was a miserable failure and it wasn't going to work. I mean, lots of Haitians know that uh, the things that Americans think they can install in Haiti are (laughs) uninstallable.
1: Yeah, as a friend of ours often (laughs) says, in installab. (laughs) So
2: anyway, uh, as time progressed in Haiti, we first did three years in the Artibonite Valley. We experienced uh, the people working... In our project, Getting Arrested, I had to work to get mm. them out of jail and prevent them from getting beaten.
1: That was a crazy thing.
2: Um, we started to get to be very involved in this democracy movement, uh, you know, sympathizing with it. We decided to stay for another three years in Haiti and a chance to go to a very isolated mountain community called Bois de Laurence. Mm-hmm,
1: with our three girls. With our
2: three girls. To have a more positive cultural experience because our first three years was in a hospital location where the community was rather spoiled, as they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but we learned a lot you know, there. Oh, we learned, we oh, learned quite learned a bit, a yes. We learned a lot there, Certainly especially
1: good. about how not to hand out, you know, all the time. That's, this <laughs> is a... <laughs> A huge uh, experience for me yeah, you know heart. your heart is so you know broken by the what you see as poverty and you want to try to help I mean that's what the empathy of humanity should be but there are ways to do it that are better than others so we learned along the way
2: yeah
0: there's and so
1: thankfully for the people who were friends of ours, the Haitian community around us did help a lot. they were very tolerant, very um, appreciative. And so that, you know, helped.
2: Well, that's that's something. It's not really, it's really not hard to get welcomed and accepted in Haiti. All you have mm-hmm. to do is show respect ah, for the people yeah. and not act it, yeah. actually have respect for them mm. and, and, and show it. And they will respond positively, mm-hmm. guarantee you, <laughs> <laughs> because they have a history of not being respected. So when they see somebody that actually does, you know, especially a white person and an American, mm-hmm. Well, well a French person, I mean, yeah. that's an exception for them, because they, they're used to the opposite.
1: Mm-hmm. And especially knowing the language, as as we progressed in our Haitian, because we didn't have the French background, we had the English, so learning Creole was ground uh, zero, we didn't have really very much French to rely on. You can use a lot of French in the Creole language, because it does have a lot of French in it, but... It helped that we didn't have that, so it meant that our creole was really fresh, real Haitian yeah, we creole. Learned,
2: we learned countryside creole.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and people really responded to that. We had sometimes people stop, you know, Haitians would stop and just ask us questions just to hear us talk. Okay. <laughs> that was fun.
2: When we got to, okay, we did three years in the mountains, it was a very, very good experience in terms of realizing just how simply— we could live mm. and and be perfectly happy. Well, we know? had already started that way. We'd already started that but, was but our that we had philosophy we had, yes, to begin with. Right. But it was in Boilerens where there wasn't any electricity, mm-hmm. there's no public services there at all. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. that's where we saw how how much people really need mm. to be able to be fully happy in their lives. And mm. it's a lot less than your average American would think.
1: Mm, there are. <laughs> I mean, we are used to such a high <laughs>
2: standard of living, it's, and it's hurting the world, folks. Uh, anyway, that's, that's a different a subject. <laughs> we won't uh, continue on that right But we did
1: live with, um, you know, all the things that come along with living in the mountains, which was rats in the house. Every now and then, you were having to chase them with well, machetes. <laughs> yeah. But
2: we, I mean, our situation was... We were better set up than our neighbors.
1: Right. We did eventually have solar panel you lights, know, little ones.
2: Little little lights. That made and, our house look uh, like
1: a spaceship landed in this dark wooded right. place. We had a
2: kerosene refrigerator, which mm-hmm. nobody else in that area had. had. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had a radio that we could communicate with the home office, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. We even had um, a and wood. a car. I mean, well, a car and a motorcycle. Well, wow. Right, wow. but we had a wood man. Remember, we had uh, someone some that would bring us uh, logs of wood because we had a, a clay wood stove that you guys built. They're called the Lorena stoves. We used. Yeah. So we needed wood every day. So we had a, a man that would collect dead wood around the, the woods around our place and <laughs> would bring them over.
2: Yeah. Anyway, to continue because mm-hmm. we can get sidetracked. Presses on and <laughs> we get sidetracked uh, during that three years. In bois Rence that's when I, I mean, I was really gung-ho. I didn't mention it before, but before we went to Haiti, I went to university and got a a bachelor's and a master's in agronomy and uh, plant breeding and genetics concentration. And the intention was to work overseas and, and help small-scale farmers because in agronomy, you can either go working with uh, small-scale agriculture or industrial and I didn't want to have anything to do with industrial. So, um, mm. you know, small-scale, was. Uh, it also fit with my faith. It's a, you know, going to the least of these mm. kind of thing.
1: Yeah, remember it was Colorado uh, State University. Colorado State <laughs> University, mm-hmm. yes. We happened to be recording in Colorado at the time. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so anyway, uh, about, you know, toward the end of that uh, second term, we were about in Haiti for six years, it started to dawn on me that that this development approach from foreigners wasn't going to work. It just wasn't going to work. I started to understand the dynamic of the presence of a foreigner mm. in a peasant's field telling, you know, this is how to do this simple technique. Mm. Or even not directly doing it, but hiring a local Haitian to teach how to build an A-frame, how to, you know, do a uh, contour canal and they, different simple techniques to uh, help prevent soil erosion and improve crop yields, green manuring, things like this. Even if it's a Haitian presenting it, but there's a blanc, a foreigner, (laughs) behind them, Mm -hmm. it's probably not going to take. And why? They're going to say, yes, 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 we blanc, you know, (laughs) very good idea, and then they're not going to do it. Because these are not people that have Education. They have tradition. Mm. And to try to break them out of that when that has worked, even if it's not working anymore. It's not just a simple matter of, of oh, the light goes on. This is a better technique. It's not that they don't know these things.
0: Mm. <laughs> when
2: there's they not. see it, they see that makes sense. But there's all sorts of other beliefs. There's the risks and dangers, the white too. White people mm-hmm. just don't understand that, you know, behind a lot of these things that people thinking about the effect on the spiritual dimensions mm. of the land and the people around them and who might, you know, be against them and, you know, it's it's a lot of things in their yeah. <laughs> worldview that are just totally foreign to us. And also, the, the, you know, there's a, a, a very strong Haitian complex from their history where it's, a, you know, it's a combination of Pride at their accomplishment in creating a nation—the only
1: fierce pride.
2: Fierce pride, uh, along with uh, deservedly uh, so, along with a debilitating self-doubt mm. and in, inferiority conflicts. Uh, it's not a healthy mix, and it expresses itself in a variety of ways in the, co- in the country. You know, so you'll meet a lot of people that are kind of messed up in their head. Mm about themselves, but then you meet these people that are just as solid as rock. Mm, like, We're fortunate to have <laughs> three of them on the Nassonger staff.
1: <laughs> well, we have a whole community of yes, people around we, us yeah, that are know. fantastic. Yeah.
2: yeah, we've had experiences with people that took us for a ride, deceived wow. us, and but we've also fortunately found
1: beautiful souls. <laughs> nuggets, nuggets
2: of gold and diamond. Mm. So... <laughs> <laughs> After Bauer-Lawrence, we went to—I uh, started realizing that, that what was really needed was something that foreigners could not provide, and that was a mentality change in the people. They had their own things that they needed to change in their heads in order to address their situation differently than they were, and there was no way that any foreigner could mm-hmm. could get in there and understand that. It, even Haitians uh, were friends with— uh, uh, a guy that has worked for decades in development work. He's a Haitian. He works with peasants, farmers, and yet he says there's a barrier because he's an educated Haitian. There are he wears Haitian, glasses. And, and he <laughs> has glasses, and, and even though he's, he's native Haitian, he talks Haitian, there are Haitian peasants that don't feel that they can really address him As they would other people because he's elevated to a different level. And what he says is like uh, magic (laughs) or something. (laughs) But it's not practically applied until one of their neighbors applies it. You know, when they apply an agricultural technique and it works.
1: They can see that.
2: And then their neighbor sees that and then they try it. But he's been working the same kind of work that I've been doing has had really good results, but very small scale and not a lot of financing backing it up because the development community is really not about creating the kind of dynamics needed for the people to develop their own capacity to change their situation. It's actually designed to keep them where they are and create further dependency. That's another subject. We'll be getting into those mm-hmm. things, and we'll be hearing Haitians mm-hmm. talk about that mm-hmm. as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to say about Bois Lorenz when we lived there, I was homeschooling our three girls. That was quite a an interesting and well, positive experience for me to uh, use materials that were sent to us and, you know have a little there was a little shed, a storage shed in the back of our Haitian home that we converted into a little schoolhouse. We had an outhouse, too, and girls had chores, and then they had this little schoolhouse, and I went between the three grades. Um, I can't remember exactly what the grades were at this point, but I was a little nervous at first because I thought, oh, man, here we are way out in the boonies, and I hope I don't ruin (laughs) their education, especially reading. To be able to read is fundamental, but uh, it worked out pretty well. I was encouraged until... We got about eighth grade and we get to, to teenage years. That was a little difficult for And I decided that I did not believe that our experience was worth losing a relationship in our family for for the purpose of doing this work. You know, our family was most important. And so it was really uh, that was the priority was the children and their um, capacity to, to live in this condition, these conditions. And they did pretty well. I mean, there was a lot of bumps, you know, being picked on sometimes, <laughs> but they learned.
2: Yeah, and they had uh, a unique experience among uh, American kids growing up that they experienced wanting to be black.
1: Yeah, <laughs> they did. Why are I black? Because they
2: stood out, and they didn't like it. And, mm-hmm.
1: um, and they saw white skin. could You could see their veins and their freckles and their pimples easier. You know,
2: that that. We've lived with that the whole time in Haiti. Uh, I have to say that it's not the same experience that, that black people have in the world because we are looked at different, and there are prejudices, and there are stereotypes and assumptions about who you are just because of the color of your skin. And uh, it sometimes, you know, bugs the hell out of me sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. It's like I'm not that. Okay.
1: Mm, it's always trying to but break down those the walls. The difference, <laughs> the
2: difference, and this is a huge difference, is that we're not repressed. We're actually as white people. As you white mean. people, we're mm. more looked up to mm. as something to aspire to. They have this. Unfortunately, uh, I mean mm. it's unfortunate because they mm. definitely had this knocked into their heads that the, the, the color gradation in terms of uh, better and worse. Well, God lighter is white. And lighter and darker is on the same curve as better and worse or prettier and ugly. It's just, it's, it's horrible. You would think an all-black country would not have this dynamic, and yet it's very yeah. much in Haiti. In
1: well, the, not in, in and <laughs> among themselves as well, yes, they have stratification of their colors as yes, well. Yes, that's right.
2: The president's former wife, they were calling her ugly. She was actually quite attractive. But they, she was ugly because she was dark. Hmm. And uh, a first lady should be light. Mm. So th- you know, oh, that's racism s- <laughs> just doesn't exist uh, between different ethnicities. It <laughs> well, and that was all colonialism yeah, so that did that exists too. Exists within,
1: even in their birth certificates, they have qualifications. If you were born in the city, you are a citizen or a citoyen, and if you were born in the outside of the capital, you are a paysan or a peasant. So, even in their, on their birth certificates. I think that might have changed already, though.
2: Yeah. We, after Bois-Lorenz, decided to stay on, as Carla expressed the tension with our eldest daughter in school, a solution was to do another term, another three years, in Port-au-Prince because the MCC office, main office, was very close to a high school. It was a Christian high school, which at the time we didn't have a problem with. But <laughs> our mm. kids did. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's smart. another story, too. But uh, in it, at least they got a good high school education, and we were able to do another three years in Port-au-Prince in the administration because by that point we were totally wrapped up in the struggle. Um, Ari Steed, the president, had been elected, and then the coup de Todd happened that was 91, 92. Yes, it was 91, 92, 93. Those are the final three years we were in, it with MCC. And um, the struggle was going on because our wasn't returned until 94. So we, when we left MCC, we decided to stay in Haiti. We found a place to rent. We um, did work translating. Uh, we did Work with journalists because, especially in 1994, when RSD came back, all the the journalists were there CNN and all the three networks, Mm -hmm. New York Times. For a while, I was a fixer and a a translator for the New York Times.
1: I worked with NBC, BBC, CBC.
2: (laughs) And that was an interesting experience as Mm -hmm. well. The way that we saw the way that uh, journalism was trying to present the problem, Mm -hmm. and at times it was.
1: That's a whole other story.
2: Yeah, that's a whole other <laughs> story. So from '93 on, we've been in Haiti, independent. Carla will tell about the work she had done. I went on to, uh, you know, after doing different odd jobs, I worked for a while as a, the director of a, an organization that uh, was promoting cooperatives. Because of conflicts with the the uh, founder of that organization. Uh, After a year and a half, I quit and went off on my own and uh, with some cooperative trainers, people that I had known for a long time that I could uh, rely upon and that had expertise in how to set up a cooperative. So for five years, I worked with four Haitian friends that I knew. They went out in different places of the country and lived with the community were accepted into the community, got to know the people, saw the dynamics of leadership, conflict, and everything. And in that understanding context, they were able to set up cooperatives and have them work. Uh, Normally, the the approach that NGOs use is to invite peasant leaders into uh, some hotel someplace Mm -hmm. for a seminar on how to do something. That has some unintended consequences that are actually quite negative. It's because after being treated so special, then they expect to be treated more special by their (laughs) friends and and colleagues in the mountains, and that, that doesn't really work. So after that, things started going downhill in Haiti in the late 90s. Aristide's term ended. Préval was elected president. All the hopes for the kind of change that people wanted were not being realized. Things were disintegrating. Unfortunately, the uh, the Lavalas Party had assigned people to different government posts based on their activism rather than their competence, and things were not running properly. By the end of the nineties, there was, you know, I was the hope that had been there was just disappearing, and it was very depressing. Mm-hmm. By two thousand and one, I thought, Do I want to continue doing this? Living in Haiti, it's like it seems to be going downhill. I came to the states in 2001. Spent seven months here. But while I was here, 9-11 happened. This was in, you know, 2001. And by the time I was in 2001, I was already feeling pretty alienated from a lot of the uh, American culture that I'd grown up with and the presuppositions belief. and beliefs. Um, and when I saw 9-11 happen, there was a two-week period after that when I was really encouraged because people are saying, why do they hate us? Why do they hate us? The news was having interviews with Arab students. You know, they just started talking about it. And then they just cut it off and started beating the war drums. And we're going we're gonna to kill Al-Qaeda and we're going to go into Afghanistan. And, we're gonna and it was so discouraging to me because I thought, yes, Americans, you need to hear these voices. You need to hear why people hate you. It's not that they hate your freedoms. That's nonsense. They hate the manipulation and the oppression of empire. We are an empire. We impose our will on other people's. They don't like it. (laughs) Surprise, surprise. Just like empires throughout history. We think we're exceptional. We're really not. (laughs) You know, and we've been on the other end and seen the results. You know, it's not just we... Swallowed some some leftist propaganda. We've <laughs> seen we've seen this stuff happening. That's why we have this understanding. Anyway, uh, so I I decided at that point live here in the states or or go back to Haiti and build our house. We already had a, a land site that we could build a house on, and I decided I'd rather live in Haiti than than here because Haiti may be suicidal, but the United States is homicidal, and I prefer one over the other i'd prefer normal and you know just healthy but uh somewhere in between <laughs> but, you know we just have to find that personally inside mm-hmm. because the world isn't isn't going that way
0: mm-hmm.
2: so we i went in 2002 uh came back to Haiti built our house decided not to be doing any development work anymore i would just be doing translation work it would, which was ideal people would send me texts and i would translate it into Creole or from Creole to English, sometimes French to English. That's what I've been doing part-time ever since, till about four years ago when things dried up. Mm. Just living in uh, Grosjean, in our house, it's very peaceful. We live by a waterfall, and Mm -hmm. we actually have, for all us freedom-loving Americans, there's more freedom for me in Haiti. There's fewer expenses. Uh, we can live cheap. We can get the benefits of of uh, being an American poor without the hardships. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, remember too, we always have this discussion about okay, you can live freer, but there are there are no tax systems, yes, so no. there are no infrastructures either. Well, <laughs> yeah, the downside is
2: that uh, here, this is the way I see it. You know, between the two places, we bounce back and forth. Haiti does not have enough rule of law. In fact, it has basically zero rule of law. Mm-hmm. And the United States has way too much because it becomes oppressive when you have to jump through all sorts of hurdles and uh, you know, in order to get stuff done, in order to satisfy legal requirements. And it's good to have rule of law. But it should be, my opinion is that it should leave what you do in your own house out of it as much as possible.
1: Or your own body. <laughs> yeah. hmm I just wanted to say a little bit about, uh, back up a little bit to what I was doing as uh, Ron was doing his freelance work after we stopped being an MCC. I started working with two Haitian associate in... Receiving visitors, we actually started with UN people who were coming as human rights observers around the country during the coup d'etat against Aristide. We started just teaching people about the culture, the history, and then other human rights organizations came in. We organized, coordinated volunteers where they would stay in the country and that really taught me a lot. <laughs> There's too much to say in this one little first podcast. So we organized uh, people, visitors, uh, researchers, students who came. And then in 92, we organized our association. And then around 2004, we thought about expanding that to a foundation. And that's what we're basing this podcast on under that umbrella of the Nasonge Foundation, which means we will remember because we feel that so much of the history has been lost, both on the Haitian side and the outside world, about really what happened.
2: Well, and there's a lot about the present that can only be understood if you understand the past. Exactly. The the history.
1: And it's not to do just to go back and look at it and bemoan what happened. No, it's to learn from it. Right. It's to realize that we stand on the grounds of history that have gone before us, and it's the reason why we are who we are today, both whites, blacks, and especially as Haitians and as Americans. Uh, So that work expanded under the Nassonger Foundation. We also had a vision to perhaps create a village where people could actually relive the transatlantic slave trade, but we have a, a model, a miniature model of that actual history in our center
2: you can't relive that, but you, it was intended to be a kind of a spiritual retreat where it was reflected upon the experience of that slave trade. Mm-hmm. There's no way to duplicate that unless you're torturing people.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's definitely not the intention. I mean, our, our memories may torture us, and that, that's enough. There's a Haitian proverb that says, which means the one who hits forgets the one who carries the scars, remembers. Uh, so our work continued in the Nassonger Foundation, and we have had uh, many different American university students who come for their alternative breaks uh, over the years and take them out to the countryside to actually immerse themselves in the reality, because in so many ways that's really the only way you can begin <laughs> to understand someone else's reality and in, in lives. Even in our own town, our home community, Grosjean, uh, we are staff. I have about six, seven, or eight fluctuates. uh, Young people, local young people who are staff, who become like windows so that visitors hear their perspective, their lives, their culture from their personal point of view. Their home. They go and they do. They immerse. They go and visit in their homes with their families, learn how to cook food over an open fire or in charcoal. They go and try to bargain in the marketplace, try to do laundry by hand, carry water, all those things that are part of the everyday life of uh, most of the people outside the cities in Haiti. And we also created a band. I just wanted to bring that in around 2005, 2006. 2006. That's the music that you'll be hearing. It's called "De Racine" or Two Roots. Two Roots. So we created a, well... It, it became a thing because Ron and his guitar-picking, the way he finger-picks. <laughs> <laughs> it it uh, just went with the music that uh, Mona, our very good friend Mona, who's a songwriter, composer, and singer. So it combined together with his finger-picking guitar playing, and I added some violin, melodious harmony to the music and uh, expanded. And Najee's part of it. He's the bass player. Weilele became the drummer, so we actually went on tour. We actually have an album, so (laughs) we even had a documentary made. (laughs) In any
2: case, uh, there was something that I left incomplete in my Mm. story about our changes. I I mean, I mentioned that the fact that we even chose the path we did is because of our Christian faith. Somewhere between Bois de Lorenz and Port-au-Prince, around that time, I started questioning the belief system. It seemed, you know, I was trying to figure out Haitian culture and Haitian belief system, and I had been six years away from immersion in my own Christian culture and sort of felt the tie, that that tie was weakening or disconnected, and I was looking at things different, and it seemed to me at the time obvious that Christian belief system is such a a Western cultural creation, it's too tied to a particular culture to be universal. The message, the way I received it, patients don't receive it the same way because their cultural, their history is different. We have, a, as Europeans coming from Europe and entering America, especially religious tradition, of the centuries of guilt over just being human that was driven into us by the Church. And so certain messages that Jesus died for your sins, you know, if you just accept it non-critically, it can open your heart to the love of God and the grace, you know, if you just don't critically think about it too much. And uh, it works! (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you're raised in it. But then when you, you know, if you ever get back from that and look at it, the belief system itself would say, well, how is this different than than any other belief system that we as Christians consider to be some primitive pagan <laughs> or, or just false, you know, religious deception of Satan? It, so, but what I discovered was that I I I just couldn't believe it anymore. I mean— the creed, as, as stated. I could not believe those things anymore. But the spirit that I had converted with the powerful experience of the love of God being you know, surrounded in love, and, and that spirit was still there. And I discovered that that spirit did not need that particular religious belief system to function in my heart anymore.
1: <laughs> you mean you still have the love of God inside you, well, you and felt was, it and knew yes, it. Yes,
2: and still, you know, I mean, I'm I don't claim to be any sort of mystic, but I have had some experiences where it was like looking over the ridge at uh, the land beyond, mm. but not actually going there. <laughs> and uh, <Not> yet. <laughs> just feeling the presence of of something. Mm bigger than, you know, it's not yourself generating all that love. It's coming at you. Mm. Uh, you know, that experience uh, doesn't need a belief system. Eastern religion doesn't need a belief system like that. They don't need a God. They're all focused on getting to that experience level and just living in that spirit. I think that's basically the way to go. That's, <laughs> where, that's where we are now. So I had to get that out of the way for the people that have heard, oh, there were missionaries and. And for those of you who are disappointed to hear that we no longer believe it, I'm sorry. <laughs> those who are glad that we don't, thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I guess I could give a little bit about my own uh, journey in my spiritual life too, is like we went, we weren't missionaries. we weren't preaching, but we went as Christians, thinking that you know our lives might be different and that people might be interested, and then we would tell them about the love of God. But actually, I think uh, the love of God was already there <laughs> before we ever got there. Mm. So present in their culture, their idea of community and collective. So I had already been challenging my own faith. You know, is my faith wrapped up in my checkbook here in the United States, being in my Christian groups? Uh, can I exist as a Christian outside of that? So what really confronted me was, was seeing the material difference in the lives of people in Haiti who had joy in their hearts, had a faith in God already that may not necessarily claim that they're so-called Christian. And then I saw, well, wait a minute, why is there this difference of materialist things that we have in our lives, the materials that we have in our Why did that happen Why was I born in this country that had these advantages? So all those questions were mind-blowing to me, and they started to disintegrate, like Ron's talking about, those Western ideas of what Christianity is. And a lot of that just fell away, and just the pure idea of love was standing. I remember Haitians asking me, well, why don't we go to church? Why don't we go to the local church there in our community? Why? you know, white people are supposed to do that. That's what they've seen. You know, white people come. They're missionaries. They go to church. They open churches. They preach in churches. And I said, you know, I don't need to go to any particular church. Church is right here with me in my community and the people that we love, that love us. I'll go to any church, actually, where love is preached. And that's been a little bit confusing and confounding for our christian Haitian friends. But I think it's also helping to open their minds as well to the fact that they, they don't maybe need the whole creed that comes actually from overseas. Uh, Haitian yeah. Christian Protestantism and Catholic, it all comes from outside the country.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, <laughs> that's, that's a whole... Topic yeah. under itself, too. Uh, when we got to Haiti, they were saying the percentage of Protestants was about 15%, Catholics, uh, you know, 85 and uh, 100% Vaudou. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a lot of truth to that because yeah. the worldview, the worldview that understanding that there are spiritual entities, you know, the way I un- understand is, is manifestations of a particular energy. It's a common way of understanding things throughout history in many different cultures. Mm -hmm. Polytheism is just a way of explaining there's different, there's the white light of the sun, and then it goes through a prism, and there's many different colors. It's all light, but there's a spectrum. And so there are different spirits that represent the different energies that people perceive. What, What do Americans hear about the Haitian? Belief system, voodoo, sticking needles and dolls.
1: Mm. That's a whole other subject. We can talk about that another time, but uh, we just wanted to give you this is the tip of the iceberg. Wanted to give you a little bit of introduction of who we are, kind of, uh, of what our experiences have been that have been transforming, paradigm shifts, I would say, that drive us to want you to hear more about them from them. So, one way we're uh, trying to do this is by having their their voices come to you, and do some voiceover translation, so you can hear right from them.
2: Yeah, and we will still continue to uh, make some commentary, and mm-hmm. you know yeah, about we'll different be, things. We'll be
1: around, of course. And like we say, we're still learning about this whole podcasting business, and so we'll have places I'm sure where you can ask us questions, uh, get to know us more, find out more about our experiences. And uh, so, thank you for listening paying attention to our lives, and we've appreciated everyone, the Haitian community that has embraced us, protected us, enjoyed our company, and uh, appreciates who we are, and that just wants us to go home (laughs) Mm. so much more. And we hope you'll hear from each one of our friends and family and beyond in the beautiful, interesting, extraordinary country of Haiti. A yo, Okay, Rocky Naji, you're there in Haiti on Delma. <laughs> so Yeah,
0: we we we
1: we're here. Okay. <laughs> To present Nasoje in their voice podcast. What is this all about, Rocky?
0: Yeah, Mrs. Kala. we will remember in their voice. It's a program we want to put on a broadcast over the internet to make the voices of the people go as far as possible and to be remembered. So when we say we will remember in their voice, so what's that? Well, it's us. So to remember where we were, where we want to go. To say what our needs are—that's uh, what this podcast it's all about.
1: And who is going to be talking on these podcasts? For what kind of the
0: Haitian of- people, the Haitian people.
1: All kinds of people.
0: Not all kinds of people. I think there's the main subject we could select. I mean, like uh, transportation, communication, and so on.
1: School kids too, like Naji's daughter.
0: School kids, mm-hmm, beekeeping, you know.
1: Yeah, we need to hear from everyone.
0: Yeah, everyone.
1: Okay, Naji, you're there too. How are you?
3: I'm fine. And you, Carla?
1: <laughs> I'm fine, but I'm missing Haiti so much. Love hearing your voices. So tell everyone about the, this podcast. We will remember.
3: Okay, we will remember in their voice. This idea comes from experience, like when we would be eating, roasted, great food together.
1: I remember when, that, yeah.
3: Yeah, together. When everyone was having fun and enjoying nature, that's when the initiative took form. Today, we have a lot a lot of things that we started to, that we want to be more stable.
1: Najee, okay. let me ask you. When we were eating breadfruit together, we were talking about maybe making a new branch called Nassonger Vet, right?
3: Yeah. Nassange is cooked food has no owner.
1: Yeah, that's a the, proverb, right?
3: Yeah, that's, that's a, a proverb. That black race, beautiful love, beautiful work happening, and that's what motivated mm. me to work with. The philosophy of the Nassange Foundation and Nassange Vet.
1: So tell me more about what you mean by the white race mixing with the black race. What did you mean when you said that? Um,
3: but when we, when i say that it's because uh, you know when when i met a one color we play music together like uh-huh. two wood, they play music american music we play asian music when yeah. we share food we cook together we mix every, every culture like american culture asian culture this is i think it's a beautiful way to to live together
1: yes oh like,
3: yes yeah. between race, between <laughs> black people white people but
0: i I want to add more words about like mixing white people with the black. <laughs> people. go rocky yeah but i think when we have a different nation uh, together on the same cycle the exchange the idea the philosophical the history and then i think that that idea that will subject up each one to see where, where we stand and then what we gotta do
1: yeah like our pr- different perspectives
0: Yes, that that the way I think it, it's good, it's well too.
1: Yeah, because that doesn't happen so often.
0: Yeah, it's an example for the world, and other ah,
1: world. Yeah, that we can. We're humans. We love each other.
3: I think every every race, every nation have to see something like that. People share between us, between them, like a art, music, mm. a culture. Like when we plant trees together, I think it's a beautiful thing for the world yeah 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 yeah
1: it's wonderful yeah rocky tell about the resources you, we have for this nation trying to do what what kind of resources do we have
0: our our greatest resources are the friend of national when i'm talking about friend it's a friends of outside and the friend in the country too the co-founder mm-hmm. members yeah, member is a special local Blanchley. you know and <laughs> other people too so without like uh Jalouki, jaluki jaluki yeah. lili and so on.
1: And Nasonge has been existing now for 12 years and Nasonge Vet is what 2 years now?
0: Yeah, over a decade.
1: Yeah, over yeah, over a decade for Nasonge the foundation.
0: Yeah, right. yeah. But Nasonge Vet Like I said, the baby only has one year or two years. We're going to have two years, I think.
1: So what are the biggest challenges that we have? We're talking a little bit about the dreams (laughs) and challenges. What would you say? the,
0: the The biggest challenge that we have in Haiti is the situation we're living as a living proof now. You know, yeah. you see kids can't go to school. We don't have a seat, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and mm-hmm. then at National Foundation is an activity week, you know what I'm saying? We got a good vibration. And then <laughs> National Vet was born um, before two years. And then yeah. now, and then now, so we want to work hard in order to see how oh, oh, much like we can help Haiti, you know what I'm saying? At different level.
3: Yeah. Our challenge, I think it's like tell the children the truth when we talk about different color, one yeah. people. I think mm. uh, the children need to know that. Yeah, we are one. <laughs>
0: yeah, we are all one. We,
3: we are all we, we treat each, o- each other. like. Mm. We are one, but this is how we treat each other. This is what we have to know. But they... Yep. Uh, is, that, is that no difference? No difference? There's you know? no difference. I say different color. One people <laughs> need to know that because now when we are one and we are all human, I think this is how we treat each other. This is what we we need to know now. Tell the the children the uh, truth. This is our challenge now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The golden rule is uh, to, you know, we love each other and we treat each other the way we want to be treated with respect. So what are the dreams like uh, and the challenges, Najee? And you were talking about our biggest challenge and the dream we have to heal. Those things that we talk a lot about in Nasson is is healing.
3: I think my dreams, uh, our dreams, uh, this is between the education uh, in the school. We have to teach more art. More how the way the children have to live. Like I think in the school in the education we can give the children more the student more a school without art a school without music. I think it's mm-hmm. not good like that. I think mm-hmm. we have to, we have to teach more art more music
1: and, and black <laughs>
3: story too. We have to teach that. <laughs> ah,
1: the black story. Yes, the the African story.
3: Yeah. Black people have a, a beautiful story. We have mm-hmm. a, the children have to know that.
0: Yeah, of course, uh, it, it's time to motivate uh, the young people. So with the the situation now, you know mm-hmm. that's why Natsonge exists and then uh, mm-hmm. keep doing activities uh, to save life.
1: Natsonge Foundation is there for people to come to Haiti to learn from Haitians in their own reality, in their own lives, in their own culture, and to share. Yeah. And then Nassonger Vet is to help heal the earth as well by producing trees. And...
3: Nassonger Foundation is, is the mother, Nassonger is the baby. But it's... I think this is the same dream. This is the same objective.
0: You know, Nassonger Vet and Nassonger Foundation work together because they have the same vision. They have yeah. the s- the main vision, it's to uh, save Haiti and then with the good power, like with trees. good vibration about reforestation, trees, you know, transformation, recycle uh, in order to create a good ecosystem, but like a good balance.
3: Learn more about the environment because whatever world you're living, we have the same environment. We have the same, the same planet. Everybody have to know that too.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I say we have one mother. Our mother is a mother hurt, but everybody have to know how we have to treat the environment because we have only one environment for everybody. Because mm-hmm. because we live in the, the climate changing now. Mm-hmm.
1: It's important
0: to know yeah. everything changed that way without us to the world with another
1: eye. Yeah. So National Geek Foundation is is about... Bringing people together, like you're saying, and bringing about possible healing from learning the truth of each other and what happened and healing that. And then Nasson Givet wants to heal the earth (laughs) because of all the problems of climate change, like you're saying, right?
0: Yeah. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yes. But so why would you say that Nasonge wants to make this podcast? Why are we doing this podcast? What would you tell everyone? Okay. Why?
0: I, I could tell everyone of my words because Nasonge Foundation, Nasongeve, and then Nasonge and their voice. The reason is to spread their voice or our voice in Haiti, so as mm-hmm. far as possible.
3: When we talk about the Haitian situation, we we think uh, this is a way to talk in their voice, to talk in their name, their problem, their their solution, uh, how they can be better.
1: Yeah.
0: We want to hear uh, our Haitian people in their own voices, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because they usually don't get to talk out there to the world to tell them what's going on, what they're doing. But the things, I mean, it's really, really hard right now. And I think lots of people know that uh, there's so many problems. But there's also wonderful things happening, too. People are working hard and lots of uh, efforts to stay together.
0: <laughs> I mean, for the good things happening happen in Haiti, we got to make magazine for that.
3: And then for the worst thing, too, we got to spend people why or not. During our difficulty, we have a beautiful thing, too. We have a... Yeah. In Haiti, we have a lot of beautiful things we do. Like it's not only uh, we don't have security, but we we have people they sell in the street. They, they, we do we do a lot of things. There's life in Haiti. It's not exactly. only it's not only problem problem. But we yeah. in this podcast in, in this podcast we're gonna talk about beautiful thing about everything good we do now because exactly. I see Asian people exist. And we continue. We, we mm-hmm. will still exist. We do <laughs> positive thing too.
1: Exactly. That's it. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Anything else you wanna say?
0: Well, I wanna say and to our fan and then to a new fan, we're gonna have to so <laughs> later. Mm-hmm. Right. Thanks. And then I appreciate that vet love them.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I thanks everybody. I I thanks people who support us. I thank every, everybody, and uh, I hope people will continue to hear the, the the broadcast to hear our voice in the name of Haiti, in the in the voice of, of the Asians. I think people can continue to support us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I say, love Haiti and then the world.
1: <laughs> that's it. <laughs> okay, guys. Okay, yeah,
3: okay. that's wonderful.
0: Love. Okay, Okay, okay. ay bobo, ay
1: Okay. Okay, say okay, 19 minutes. I'm tell me, stop
0: recording.
1: going I I'm going. to to stop recording. I'm trying to stop. Stop. Oh. It's too jumpy. If I can't be, if I can't be, if a problem, come in. I don't fear me a bravery.
0: One mother.
2: That pretty much brings us up to the present. The reason that we are here and had the idea of doing this podcast is because last year we came back for a vacation, as we normally do. There were gang members coming up and shooting around our area, but uh, we were still counting on coming back in September of last year.
1: Going back to Haiti.
2: Going back to Haiti. <laughs> we came in June and then July and August, and then we were going to go back. But we were unable to go back because the gangs took over our area. All the people that had little boutiques, stores in the area, left. A lot of people left. Anybody that had any means left. and A lot of our neighbors. Yes, a lot of our neighbors left. There was just nothing to go back to other than the risk of being kidnapped. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) we decided, uh, you know, it was because the gang members installed themselves in our area. Fortunately, they have not gone to our property, but, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we just can't go back yet until the international community decides to get its act together and um, help Haiti out because it can't handle its problems right now. In the past, they had no problem coming in and with the U.N. and— breaking up gangs and shooting gang people. You know, they did that before.
1: Right. There's no ideology that is being pushed, but except for just the existence and um, care for the people that are being so terribly brutalized by these gangs. And there is a hope that maybe there's been a little bit of People organizing themselves against the gangs trying to get rid of them themselves because the police have they are they're and, overwhelmed right. by it. And
2: you'll have the news reporting there's all this mob vigilante violence in Haiti. If it comes to that, it's the same situation as if an army is coming into your country and it wants to kill you, you take up defenses and you try to kill them. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the situation they're in. It's mm-hmm. like a war. But they it's not civil war. It's, it's not a civil a, war. It's gangs that have no check on them, other th- mm-hmm. you know, an ante- adequate police force that is also prone to corruption, and gangs leaders can buy uh, police chiefs off so that they don't go after them. You have gang leaders giving interviews on television. Mm-hmm. The situation is that in the government, there's a, not a functioning government right now.
1: Well, can read all of that, yes, it's read all, all about it. <laughs> right. We have our perspective, but you'll hear those voices from the ground as well. Express. Fortunately,
2: I mean, uh, the Kenyans have recently said that they would uh, send a force in, but you know, <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Hopefully, because yeah. something needs to be done. It can't stay this way.
1: The music for our intro and outro portions of our podcast was commissioned by the Nassonger Foundation. That was me asking our dear friend and songwriter Mona Augustin to write a theme song for the foundation that reflected our philosophy. So we composed this beautiful song and our band, De Racine, or Two Roots, performed it and is available on our album links in the show notes along with the English translation. Our podcast artwork, actually the original is hanging in our daughter's home, is by our colleague, friend, and multi-talented artist, Naji. We will be opening an Etsy shop soon to showcase reproductions of his original work for sale, of course. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and maybe even learned something new. AIT is the land and the voices that enable one to rise to one's higher self. So perhaps you may have even felt the gentle tug from those loving arms of Mama AIT lifting you to higher ground. N'a songé.